Hey everyone, as we close out the season of this podcast, I wanted to include a bonus episode for all of you. This was a different episode that I produced for a podcast called The Five After School, which I co-hosted with my good friend and former teacher, Mr. Brian Mowry. This was the very first episode, and Brian and I talk about the U.S.'s relationship with Afghanistan. Uh, so the reason I include it is that Mr. Brian Mowry himself has been a great inspiration to me. He actually inspired this podcast because when he created his own I realized I could create my own and he gave me the tools and told me what I could do to start it up. Um, he's also been a great uh, role model and mentor and teacher in my life um, ever since I met him in high school. And you'll see that kind of mentorship dynamic even in this conversation. So when I met him back in high school, um, during that time when one is often coming of age, I believe he inspired me and instilled me with a lot of wisdom and maturity and personal development and growth that would have been hard to find elsewhere. So I think this episode is also to really commemorate that. So anyway, hope you give it a listen and enjoy. Hey everyone, welcome to the Five After School podcast. My name is Alan and I will be one of your hosts. The Five After School podcast is sort of a spin-off or a reaction to The Five a podcast where two middle-aged men get together and discuss their list of five on an interesting topic of their choice. I'm an avid listener of the five, and I often have my own thoughts and reactions as I listen to the two of them discuss their list. So I approached one of the hosts, Mr. Brian Mowry, and told him I wanted to have a conversation, which then sprouted into the idea for this podcast. For each of these episodes, you can expect us to react to five things from an episode of the five, so make sure you get a chance to listen to the episode beforehand. You can find a link in the description. You might be also wondering why it's called The Five After School. Well, not only are Brian and Ryan from The Five both high school teachers, but my best conversations with Mr. Mowry often happened after school was over. In today's very first episode, we're actually not going to do a reaction, but because of the timing of when we started this podcast, specifically August 19th, 2021, the U.S. just pulled out of Afghanistan and the Taliban took over the capital, Kabul. Given Mr. Mowry's expertise in Middle East studies, I decided to pick his brain to hear his opinion on the Afghanistan situation. And here's what happened. So, I mean, like, yeah, I I don't even know where to start exactly. I, I wrote a few questions down just in case, but um, okay. I mean, I, I took your Middle East studies class like almost a decade ago. Oh, and man, it's that long, huh? It's yeah. been 10 years? Jeez. 20, 2011 to 2012. That's, yeah. Wow. So I'm just going to say, let's assume that I've forgotten 95, 98% of what <laughs> gotcha. I've learned. Okay. So what do you, like, you 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 did a master's in Middle East Studies, right? Mm-hmm. Okay. So looking at what's been going on um, with the Taliban and Afghanistan, um what do you think, in terms of the history of the Middle East, what do you think is important mm. to know? So it's it's very interesting because right off the bat, I mean, I'm I don't know. Like I guess I'm speaking sort of as an authority, um, <laughs> meaning I have I I can I have more credibility and more weight to my voice than the average person in the U.S. But like in the world of academia, I would definitely be a lightweight. So. I just wanted to make that disclaimer before I started talking here. So right off the bat, when you, even just the term itself, Middle East is problematic. A lot of people Mm -hmm. 
depending on who you would talk to, people might not classify Afghanistan as a part of the Middle East, and some might. For some people, the Middle East is almost synonymous with predominantly Muslim areas. Um, whereas I, I don't put it into that category. Whereas I consider the Middle East, would, uh, I would define it by Arabic culture, like Arab culture. Okay. So you're looking at Northern Africa and you're looking at the Gulf, you know, the Gulf, uh, um, the Gulf countries, Saudi Arabia, and then like uh, Iraq, Syria, Palestine, Jordan. And so Afghanistan, I wouldn't put into that category the same way that I wouldn't put Iran into that category, but others might disagree. Now, Mm. that being said, the story of what, of what has gone on in Afghanistan, especially since the Soviet Union in the, in the 1980s is a story that fits in with the Middle East narrative, um, meaning uh, local people who are governed less by central authority and more by tribal authority um, that are geographically isolated. And that allows them you know, to maintain a distinct culture and distinct thought and distinct way of doing things. Uh, that's a story that they share with places like um, you know, Yemen or Morocco, places like that. So in some ways, it is, for lack of a better term, and this is a very problematic term. Uh, you, are you familiar with the terms or uh, Oriental and Occidental? Yeah, but I just, I simply associate with East and West. Okay, but... because, because it's this old Eurocentric way of looking at, well, the West is us and Oriental is exotic and different. That even like, you know, Turkey was considered considered Oriental. We're not just talking like Far East. We're talking mm. anything that was not, you know, Western. So in that way, the story of those quote unquote Oriental countries, which is the story of countries who are non-Western that Western powers tried to either, you know, take advantage of or gain resources from or control. In that way, the story of Afghanistan is very similar to shoot the story of African countries and of East Asian countries, you know, um, with one exception, which is their geography has allowed them to be pretty darn near impossible to be conquered. Mm. I see. So actually, I was going to jump back a little bit when you said like all these countries that you call Middle Eastern that fall under Arab culture, it's all this, Mm. then there's Afghanistan and Iran. Um, Mm. How are they different exactly? So the first major difference is that they're not Arab. So ethnically, they're different, right? And so Arabs, the Arab ethnicity is genuinely defined by uh, language, by speaking Arabic. And that is, that stops essentially at, you know, at the Iran-Iraqi border. And so then you get into these, what I I would consider Afghanistan a Central Asian country um, in compared to all the other stans there. Right. With the exception, well, even Pakistan, but Kyrgyzstan, Kazakhstan, like all those former republics of the Soviet Union. And so it's distinct, number one, ethnically because of that. I would say it's even racially distinct. If you look at uh, Afghani, Afghani, I even feel weird saying Afghani. Afghani is a national identity, which I don't Mm -hmm. think holds much weight. And I think that the the Taliban overthrowing, you know, the 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 Afghani government that quickly shows that maybe the Afghani identity is not a very strong identity, whereas mm. the tribal and ethnic identities, in which you could argue are racial identities as well, like the Pashto is a big one, like those groups make them very distinct. So they're going to look more 
Central Asian. They're going to share more characteristically of Kazakhs and Tajiks as compared to Arabs who are going to be a little bit darker in complexion um, and, well, yeah, racially there. Also, <clears throat> religiously, there's a difference. You're going to have primarily Sunni Islam within the Arab area. It's not, again, this is generalizing, but it's primarily going to be Sunni, whereas when you get into Central Asia, you're going to have Gosh, sometimes it's a it's a weird hybrid or mixture of Sunni and Shia, and that's really oversimplifying it. But you're going to find more Shia uh, Islam within the Central Asian area, but also still mixed in more with the Sunnis. So it's it's Central Asia, just based upon its geographic location, has always been a place of intermixing and clash, not in clash, not necessarily violence, but like different groups interacting with each other, changing each other. And also just getting all mixed in with each other. So it's it's a weird, it's not weird. It's a unique, diverse place. Like if you look at the ethnic makeup of places like Afghanistan, you're you're not having like 90% one ethnicity as like Saudi Arabia, which would be 99% Arab. You're not gonna get hmm. that in any of the central stans, let alone Afghanistan. Yeah. Hmm. Very cool. Yeah, that's this is this is just me being the average American. I just conflate everything in, you know, one right. one one central thing. Um, so then let me let me reshape my question, which is, what do I need to know about the history of how far back do I need to go with Afghanistan's history to understand what's going on right now? Um, honestly, I think it could just be in the 1800s. You don't need to go any further back than that. Like I was reading articles this last week saying, you know, going all the way back to like the, the Persian conquest of Afghanistan in like the year, I don't know, something BC. And I, I don't think we got to go that far back. I think what, what is interesting to think about is a place like Afghanistan, because of its location, it's landlocked, it's near trade routes, sort of. I think, I think the spice, uh, what do you call it? The, the, the Silk Road, I think the Silk Road went through or near it. But that hasn't been important since the 1400s, right? With okay. you know the opening of other trade routes over the ocean, and so it's kind of just been left alone, honestly, up until the 1800s when the British Empire, you know, expanded and took over that area. And so I think that's where you need to start looking just for the modern history to see what problems the British had with trying to control an area that was so wide and geographically isolated, um, and how that didn't work for them. Uh, you can look at the Soviets in the 80s as a big one, but I think, you know, the mid-1800s, especially the British trying to gain control of areas primarily for its poppy resource, like for its poppy, uh, for the poppy crock, crop, mm -hmm. there we go. I think that's as far back as you really need to go to understand. Okay. So, so then, um, as far as I understand it, like, uh, mm -hmm. like it was back in... What wasn't there much more going on in the mid 20th century of other European countries also invading mm -hmm. the Middle Eastern area and Afghanistan for certain resources? I I I kind of remember that from your class, but I'm, right. I'm I'm very I basically don't remember it at all. So what what's interesting is when you look at the the resources that European powers would be interested in 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 that area right what's interesting is that europeans like the french and british were all over you know the levant or the gulf states you know syria iraq jordan saudi arabia before oil even mattered 
right? Now, eventually, oil then becomes important. But we're talking like, you know, around post-World War One that kind of thing. It was more desirable for mineral resources and for like ports and like control of like a water re- because of its uh, its uh, proximity to the Red Sea. This the Afghanistan didn't matter in that. I mean, quite honestly, Afghanistan didn't matter when it came to its geography, where it was located in the world after the Silk Road was was became less important. And so the control of it then it's it's really interesting because it it, it was just an ignored place on the planet until the British decided that they could basically of the cash crops that they could grow there when they took it over in, I don't know, the 1800s. Okay. So then moving forward a little bit, what we have now Mm -hmm. is 2001, 9-11 happens. Mm -hmm. Um, U.S. is like, we're going to get Al-Qaeda, we're going to get Osama bin Laden. And as far Mm -hmm. as I understand it, they were being hosted by the Taliban. Uh, yeah, Afghanistan, and then that's so the what started the war. Okay, right. I think we need to go back a little bit with that of like the Taliban. If you really want to understand what's going on right now, you probably got to start with the Taliban in the mid 1980s. Okay, yeah. So who or what is the Taliban? Okay, uh, so are are they a terrorist organization or are they something else? I mean, oh, that, I guess it depends on how you define right? everything. I, I, yeah, I mean, the Taliban hasn't used; they haven't committed terrorist acts outside their own borders. I would say right now. Now, are they using like intimidation and terror tactics within their border? Of course they are, right? I mean that that's that's why you go and you throw acid on girls going to school. That's meant to interrogate. I'm sorry, interrogate to intimidate people from doing something. In my mind, that is my definition of terrorism, right? And so now, from the idea of comparing them to Al Qaeda, it's a very different. It's a very different thing here. The, the Taliban came out of a group called the Mujahideen, which was created to fight against uh, foreign influence in Muslim lands. And they really wet their beaks in Afghanistan in the 1980s against the Soviet Union. The Soviets were trying to move south. Russia, for the last 500 years, has been trying to get a warm water port. If you look at a map of Russia, you'll notice that their ports freeze over in the winter. They're actually might not matter anymore with climate change but in the past it was something that mattered and so they were trying to move south into afghanistan and they could not defeat or get control over the the essentially the tribesmen these groups that were formed together that they called themselves the mujahideen now that group because they were fighting the soviets which were these white invaders started getting recruits from all around the rest of the muslim world like this is where bin laden first cuts his teeth there um these groups these more radicalized um uh, believers for lack of a better term in other countries were going would converge on afghanistan to have a chance to fight like they were this was the first chance they had to fight against these western imperialist invaders um, and so that's where the Taliban first came out of. It was the group of people, native Afghans, Pashtuns, who organized together to fight against the Soviets. You had other people come in, but the, Af- but the Taliban itself was the Afghanis who wanted control of that area. And after they kicked the Soviets out, it turns into a little bit of a civil war in the early 1990s. And eventually the Taliban gains control in 1996, and they become the ruling party of Afghanistan. So they have political control of Afghanistan during that time. And that's when they start like 
all the the same stuff you that you associate with really fundamental Islam, like women completely covered up, um, hands being chopped off for minor criminal offenses, you know, hanging of homosexuals, like all that sort of stuff starts really in 1996. And for the most part, the world just kind of looked the other way because Afghanistan didn't matter. Hmm. There were it didn't matter. It did if Afghanistan went nuts, it didn't affect anything else in the world. And so we kind of ignored it. What ends up happening then in the 90s is that across, you know, over in Saudi Arabia, you have bin Laden forming Al Qaeda, deciding, well, this is now my chance now. The the Cold War's over, but we can push the Americans out. He and so they start doing certain things, bombing U.S. embassies in, in Africa, other terrorist attacks. And so then the U.S. is kind of after them. The intelligence apparatus of the U.S. is hunting them down. And bin Laden finds that the best place to hide is Afghanistan. Mm-hmm. And the Taliban welcome him in and he starts creating, I guess for lack of a better term, what we would call these terrorist camps in Afghanistan, but training camps. And he starts operating out of Afghanistan. So that's where he planned 9-11. That's where, mm -hmm. oh yeah. So did the Taliban welcome him because they had at least some kind of shared vision, which is, you know, pushing out foreign invaders in their view. Right. There was, and, and, and I don't know the specifics of that, but they did align within that of Muslims should be in charge of Muslim lands. Right. They were, they, they were different ethnicity. They spoke different languages. Um, The type of Islam was similar enough to where that gave them at least a common ground. And keep in mind, bin Laden had helped fight the Soviets. Like he was there helping fight the Soviets, helping the Taliban at that point, the Mujahideen at that point. So what you get is, is this operating base for Al Qaeda. Now, after 9-11, we start looking for who's responsible. And we know pretty quickly that it's bin Laden. Within like two or three days, his name is being reported on our news. So you figure our security apparatus realized it was him pretty darn quickly. Mm-hmm. Now they got to figure out where he is and they know he was in Afghanistan. So that's what leads to the October of 2001 invasion of Afghanistan by not just the United States, but also NATO. That is the, the uh, 9-11 was the only time that NATO's uh, mutual defense articles ever pulled into, uh, was ever used, where basically all the members of NATO said, you've been attacked, America, we will now help you. And so the war in Afghanistan actually started as a U.S.-led NATO war in Afghanistan to hunt down and find the people responsible for 9-11. Okay. So then how would you briefly, I mean, how would you describe what has happened since then? Because I mean, these, I mean, so that's a very big question. Mm -hmm. I know that headlines say, oh, we should have, we should have never been Afghanistan. Our U.S. Mm -hmm. has been arrogant all this time, you know, and I'm trying to sift out all the sensationalism and get, you know, get down to, you know, what, what has been our role that Mm -hmm. we as a country have been doing, you know, was it a mistake, you know? Is there a particular person responsible or is this just mm. the U.S.'s hegemonic arrogance? You know, I, okay. I'm just throwing a lot of questions at you. But yeah, so we're now entering the territory of analysis, which is going to be, again, a lot of my personal take on this. Right. Sure. So we're going to sure. we're going to ignore Iraq in all this. OK, we're not going to talk about Iraq. So this week, President Biden specifically said that 
the point of the war in Afghanistan was to hunt down and bring to justice those responsible for 9-11. And that actually was taken care of about, what, seven years ago when During Bin Obama's, Laden was, yeah. was killed, right. right? And so in, ben, in Biden's mind, and he might be revising this a little bit now because of what's happened, but he is saying that that should have been the end of the war. But what happened is with the invasion of Afghanistan, the Bush administration got very focused on um, nation building and regime change. And part of that gonna, is because- We're gonna ins install yes, a democracy in Afghanistan. 100%. And okay. again, I think, I think President Bush was a complete believer in that, is that democracy would make things better, democracy fits everywhere, that we need to go in and remove despots and authoritarian regimes and put in democracy and everything will be better if we do that. Now, I again, I think Bush is a true believer. I think the people around Bush, I cannot speak to what their motivations are. And all of this, not to speak ill of the dead, but I'm pretty sure if I had to get a bad guy, I, I would put I would put it squarely on probably Donald Rumsfeld, who's the secretary of defense under President Bush or Dick and Dick Cheney, the vice president, who mm -hmm. were both very involved in the Reagan White House and had this very what we would now call a neoconservative view of America's foreign intervention around the world. Conservatives traditionally did not want to get involved in things outside the United States, right? Not actively, but mm -hmm. there was this new breed of conservatives led by people like Cheney and Rumsfeld who thought, no, we need to go out and we need to actively change the world to make better essentially military partners and trade partners in all these other countries, that that would bring stability in the world. We're going we're gonna to make the world into what we want it to be, and we're going to do it by, we don't have the Soviets anymore, we beat them. So now we got to find these other holdouts who aren't going to be market-based democratic countries. And so you now have this crusade that after 9-11 starts with Afghanistan. And it very quickly follows with Iraq. I think that's why those things are connected. Hmm. Um, I think the, 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 the problem is, is that it's obviously with the U.S. leaving and the Taliban so quickly taking back, taking control of Afghanistan again, that speaks to me and says Afghanistan was never going to be self, the, the current, the former government of Afghanistan was never going to be able to hold control of the country. The Ashraf Ghani led um, Islamic Republic of Afghanistan that was set up under U.S. assistance. Because it, it just, it wasn't, it was not tenable. You did not have, the institutions were set on from outside, the, the democratic institutions trying to, to, to get liberal democratic institutions functioning in Afghanistan never took hold, at least from my vantage point. This is where you're going to get a different take from a lot of different people. Um, you're going to get a different take from veterans who serve there, from contractors who work there, and then from people like me from a distance who are looking at it. But it sure looks like the same problem you have in places like, that you had in places like Vietnam, where the liberal, the liberal institutions never took hold. When you put these institutions in power, they just seemed to build around corruption and, dare I say, even maybe kleptocracies, people taking money for themselves because again, I still don't feel like, and this, this is arrogant for me to say, but it doesn't appear that there was ever a very strong Afghani identity, right? Okay. 
we're looking at out of out of there's what 30 about 30 million afghan afghan people living in afghanistan and only 40% of them are pashtun and that's the largest group 27% are tajik 9% are hazari 9% these are, are these are ethnic groups yeah and so the okay. point is there's not a majority of any of them and so your identity and loyalty just never landed on the state and if you weren't going to have that the state wasn't going to function it just wasn't okay. there was nothing people were going to stay associated with their tribe or that are normally ranked that are normally formed around ethnic groups and so mm -hmm. the idea of nation building there the nation building the challenge wasn't necessarily building the actual institutions it was building the idea of a nation and i don't think that's what ever succeeded okay and had that succeeded, then there would have been a force to oppose the Taliban once the U.S. pulled out. Maybe. Possibly, maybe, right? Maybe. Okay. Yeah. But then again, the problem with it is, is that Afghanistan, I mean, it's not like, you know, Iraq. Iraq is a flat, plain, easy to get to type of geography. Mm -hmm. Afghanistan is mountains and valleys and enclaves. And so even if you have a strong state that has power in Kabul, I mean, to actually exert control all over that country would have been a huge, huge undertaking because you would need to have several different seats of power all loyal to the idea of an Afghani state, of an Afghani nation. And it's it would just be tough to do, to get everybody on board with that. It is geographically, it is a difficult place to rule. And I'm a believer that geography is what created the cultures there to be so adverse to foreign rule and foreign intervention. Mm. So, so then uh, something, when you, when you talk about having, when you talk about the lack of a national identity, what mm -hmm. I wonder is, you know, at least on our maps, the borders of this country exists, a capital Kabul exists. Um, who, who decides that, you know, and, and, you know, like, like how do, how do, citizens within Afghanistan, you know, feel about their country, because it, it just seems like all I read about is how scared they are and how so many people, you know, want mm. to flee the country. Um, so, yeah, I don't know if you have any comments about that. Right. So now you're just getting into like, guesswork, you're just asking straight up my opinion on this. And so here's what I think. Okay. I I'm of the belief that the majority of people within a community are the same as anywhere across, like hearkening back to JFK's, you know, speech about the Soviet Union, do we not share dreams? Do we not want our children to grow up and be happy, right? I think the majority of people just want to live peacefully and do their daily thing. And so it's only these more extreme people on either side, whether it be Taliban, whether it be the extremely patriotic for the Afghani state or whoever, these groups are the ones that turn history. And so when the Taliban come walking into your village and they're going to say they're in control, if I'm average Joe Afghani, I'm going to look around and go, well, nobody can stand up to these guys. And I sure don't want to get murdered and have my kids murdered. So I'm going to tacitly approve of Taliban rule. Essentially, I'm going to keep my head down is what's going to happen. Mm -hmm. Right. And so what happened in Kabul from what I'm reading Okay, I don't have any experience with this, is that Kabul had opened up and it was becoming more westernized in the idea of opening up like women in school, women not having to wear coverings, people having free access to the internet, you know, music, movies, 
fashion, all nightclubs, all these things started coming back. And now the Taliban is coming back in and the people in Kabul are like, oh crap, what am I going to do with this now? Because I've been living this life. I read an article today talking about people who are Afghanis in Kabul are desperately trying to purge all of their social media because there's all this evidence that they were doing things which are now deemed un, you know, illegal under mm-hmm. Taliban rule. And mm-hmm. so it's not necessarily that people were you know, like the people you saw crowding that U.S. military plane trying to get out. And it's not necessarily that they were all like in league and working with the United States government when we were there, but they're mm-hmm. people who embraced the freedom that came with the American-led rule. And now they're just worried about reprisals. No matter how much the Taliban says, there's not going to be reprisals and revenge. And maybe the leaders of the Taliban, maybe they really mean that they've now set loose just mobs of people within the country who can kind of do whatever they want. You saw the same thing in Iran after the 79 revolution when the Ayatollahs took control. The Ayatollahs had ideas of what needed to be done, but it was just groups of people who had been disaffected under the previous ruler who were now settling old scores. So it's like, if I don't like my neighbor and now I have a chance to like throw him under the bus, that's kind of what you're seeing in a lot of these instances. Okay. Is there there I'm aligning mm-hmm. with the Taliban and then I can go get what I want for my neighbor. So it's 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 messy because there's not really a rule of law right now. It's okay. rule of a mob right now, and the mob just happens to be mostly the Taliban and people who now are associating with the Taliban. But you so, don't have actual institutions providing justice. Okay. So then where do you think this is going? Do you think that the Taliban will establish some kind of structure or is this, is this too hard to say? It's again, it's really tough to say what's, what's interesting is that the Taliban leader right now, and this is not the, uh, the guy I'm talking about is, um, oh crud. What's his name here? His name is, um, shoot. Why can't I remember his name here? Essentially, the guy who's in charge or the public face is not the guy who's actually calling the shots. Uh, the guy who seems to be the leader is a guy named Mullah uh, Haibatullah Ak- Akundazara. But there's this guy underneath called Abdul Ghani Baradar. And now what's interesting is that this Abdul, Abdul Ghani is seen as a guy who actually has some chops and could organize the country into, again, it, it'd be something more like Iran, where we would consider it still not free, but it won't be chaotic. Um, mm-hmm. But there's going to be a power play. There's going to be a power struggle within Afghanistan because they're back in, they're back in a position of power. So depending on who gets control of that is going to really deem which way we go here. So Abdul Ghani, he has spoken that he wants to open up international relations right away. He wants to make peace agreements with other countries and have good relations with his neighbors which makes sense, right? Because that's essentially what got them in trouble the first time. Like Wait, you're saying that brought, this is the guy mm-hmm. that was pulling is pulling the strings within the, the Taliban? Yes. Okay. But not the public face of, okay. the, of, of the Taliban. So like he's apparently reached out to China and China's very interested um, okay. because of talking about like of, of their Belt and Road Initiative, being able to get through the Stans, Afghanistan, like down into that area um, without having to go by sea. Um, mm-hmm. But... If they can't control the mob or if hardliners take more control, then, I mean, 
if they're going to say things like, no, we can't make a deal with the Chinese because the Chinese aren't Muslim, they're, you know, they're pagan like everybody else, blah, 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 then Af Afghanistan might, I don't know. Either way, I think it's going to turn back into a hermit kingdom. I think they're going to put the walls back up and it's going to be isolated again. That would be yeah. my guess. And so yeah. this would harken back to the 1980s, 90s? Yes, this is definitely when the Taliban took over 96 up until 9-11. It was just a, a black spot on the map. Nobody knew what okay. was going on. Nobody really cared. Okay. That's what <laughs> you, I think. And do you think once the, all of this cools down, America is going to be like, all right, we don't care as much anymore because <sighs> we're, we're not in there. What's the most interesting question when you start bringing America into this is right now, it just, this situation seems like it's just begging to be compared to Vietnam. Uh -huh. it, it's just uh -huh. begging to be compared. And I'm curious to read people who are smarter and know more than I, what their take on that will be that comparison but it sure, I mean, it sure seems like the same idea, right? I mean, we were in Vietnam for what, till 74, I don't know. People started there in the late fifties, but it was like 15, 16 years. This was a 20 year, you know, yeah. uh, engagement with the US. All of it was set on, we chose somebody who we wanted to be the ruler, you know, in, in Vietnam, it was, you know, South Vietnam here, it was Ashraf Ghani and, and you know, the Afghani government. And then we could never control the outskirts of the country. Eventually, we tried to do a peace agreement to try and get out of there. That's how we got out of Vietnam as we met with the North Vietnamese, made a peace agreement and said, okay, we'll stop the violence. And the Viet Cong was like, cool. And then we left and they just took everything over. It's the same thing. Like Trump had the Doha agreement back in 2020 where, you know, he, this is what started the withdrawal. He made a peace tr a treaty with the Taliban and Taliban said, great. Yeah, we won't, there'll be a peaceful transition of power. And then they just took it over the same way the North Vietnamese did. What did we do after Vietnam? We just kind of <laughs> turned away. We just forgot it. We left it alone. Mm. Right. Mm. It, there was damage done. Right. So societally in the U S we had a lot of stuff we had to deal with, but it wasn't like we hung around once we knew it was over. Um, mm -hmm. There was no strategic interest for us to stay there. And I don't think there's a strategic interest for us to, to stay in Afghanistan either. Okay. So with the exception of like intelligence agencies monitoring terrorist threats, but mm -hmm. we don't have to be in Afghanistan to do that. So okay. I, I, I tend to be from the, from the, the school of thought that we didn't learn our lesson with Vietnam and we tried to do the same thing, build a nation that and the people weren't in support of that nation. And this is what you get. Mm. So it, it, going back to like mean girls, you know, you can't make fetch happen. You know, you can't make a democracy and liberal democracy happen. It has to grow organically out of somewhere. Mm. So. Oh. So I, I want to ask you a little bit about the U S's involvement. Like, do you think, do you think the Biden administration bears any responsibility or is that any fault? Like, or is this something you can't really point fingers to? Uh, you can definitely point fingers. Okay. I, I don't, I, I, I don't, <laughs> that's gonna make me sound like I, I guess I'm asking this because mm -hmm. I, I'm asking this because I was going through, you know, different headlines and 
right different people have different things to say about biden and him defending his his withdrawal of the troops um right and i'm and i'm not sure what to make of it you know well, I mean, hell, I, I, last week I read two separate editorials from The Atlantic, one saying this was all Biden's fault and another saying Biden did exactly what he needed to do, all from the same publication, which I kind of like the fact that they offered two different editorials on it. Yeah. I mean, Biden has been president for, what, seven months? Mm-hmm. He inherited a 19-year-old war right. that was not going well even at the end of the of the Obama administration, let alone the end of the Trump administration. Yeah. So the question with Biden and trying to judge him on this is, is there a better way that he could have gotten us out of this? We were getting out regardless. Essentially, I think the only people, the only legitimate knock people can have on, on President Biden with this is the issue of trying to get out um, collaborators from Afghanistan. So Afghanis who helped American forces. Because um, they're at the greatest risk of 100%. receiving repercussions from. Taliban. Yes. Okay. And so normally what we've been trying to do is to get them visas, get them out, get them to the U.S. The problem is, and this is what Biden says, and I'd be curious to get his opinion five years from now when he's looking back upon this decision, is that he said they didn't want to speed up the process because they didn't want to signal a panic which would then cause everything to go haywire. So he was worried that if they went in and like in one night tried to pull all these people out, the country would go nuts and the Taliban would take control sooner. Well, no people, people thought that the Afghani national services would put up some sort of fight against the Taliban and they just didn't. Mm -hmm. And so it just went fast. It went too fast for him to do anything. So what, I'm not what I read is blame. Defense Secretary Austin says you can't buy will and you can't purchase leadership when speaking mm. of the Afghan forces. So yes, apparently, I mean, like mm. apparently, they just they just put very little resistance against the Taliban because yep. going back to this thing of you can't you can't just make it happen. Right. So I, I'm not going to blame Joe Biden on any of this, and quite frankly, I'm not going to blame President Trump either. Mm-hmm. I mean. It, the Doha agreement was misguided. I think he went into that thinking, huh, I'm a deal maker. I can make a deal with the Taliban. And the Taliban were like, oh, great. Yes, this is what we were looking for. Yeah. But that was going to happen. It was, it was, it was untenable. Looking back on it, ultimately, here, here's my final say on Afghan, on the Afghani war. I think our, our original sin was after 9-11 when we started, when we responded to 9-11 by saying, we're now fighting a war. 9-11 was a crime. It wasn't an act of war. It wasn't a nation declaring war on another nation. It wasn't the, the, it wasn't the empire of Japan attacking the United States. It was a criminal organization that did something horrible. And we should have responded like it was a crime Instead of saying, we're declaring war in Afghanistan, and then we're going to declare war in Iraq, and then we're going to declare war on Iran, and all that sort of stuff. Because that forced us into a, into a direction, into a rut, where we then had to try and replace what we had removed from Afghanistan. Instead of just going in, getting the guys responsible, putting them on trial, and being done with it. 
I think that's the lesson from 9-11. I don't know if anyone's listening to it or even if it's the right lesson, but my, that's my take on this. Looking back, we should not have, <clears throat> hopefully we give up on this nation building idea. It's, it's failed for us twice. The problem is it worked for us a couple times post-World War II uh, okay. under Marshall Plan ideas, right? And the occupation of Japan and Germany. But those are different things. It's failed miserably twice. The U.S. survived the first one barely after Vietnam. Hopefully we survive this one and learn our lesson and don't try and do this sort of thing again. Okay. That's my take. Mm. So, yeah, like what I when we went to war with Afghanistan, so Mm -hmm. to speak, we we pushed out the we pushed away the Taliban from from power. Right. Or Mm -hmm. like like it's we 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 removed them from government. Mm -hmm. I I you know, it's funny that I say we it's not like I did anything. (laughs) The U so the U.S. pushed them out from 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 their rule and then. Yep. But they didn't cease to exist, right? They were no. somewhere. They dis they disappeared just into just into I mean, <laughs> in into the wilderness there essentially. Like how? Like I, I guess I'm just wondering, like how did they maintain their power such that they could immediately, you know, take over once the U.S. started pulling out? You know, that's As, a good question. So you're asking essentially strategic questions, like how did they maintain? their organization or the fact that they would have a weapons caches or they could do these Mm -hmm. sort of things. Right. Mm -hmm. Ultimately they still had money coming in because it might be tough for Americans to understand because it sure seems like our country is fairly organized and it's hard to hide things from law enforcement and from, you know, powerful, you know, agencies within the government, but that's not how the world functions. It's if you have money, you have connections, you can move things. And there was money still folding or flowing into Afghanistan to allow them to have funding for weapons and things like that. And so they just hid. And you then have the United States military not necessarily going in and fighting armies. They're essentially doing law enforcement work, you know, chasing down criminals, trying to find hidden caches of weapons or forensic, you know, or, or following money through, um, you know, through banking, trying to follow, essentially like trying to fight the cartels. That's what it was. It's the same thing as trying to fight the drug cartels in Northern Mexico. It's literally the same type of tactics and we still can't get them out either. Mm-hmm. You couldn't completely get rid of them. And so they were just there. And then they had the advantage of, again, people don't trust the U.S., in that area of the world. They just don't. And when the Afghani government proved to be, what's the best word for it? I mean, not competent, Mm -hmm. then you're going to look for, there's a power vacuum, something's going to fill it. And that's when the Taliban could step back in certain places and certain regions. And then that would spread as the Afghani government's uh, influence shrunk. Okay. Okay. You know, I think I think I I think I have a much better grasp of what's going okay. on after this conversation. All right. Um, have gonna... you seen those memes? Have you seen those memes online of those uh, of George Bush like dancing at like a church service? <laughs> wait, and... is this like wait? So, no, go ahead. 
And then the memes like, you know, when everyone's saying it's Biden's fault, it's Trump's fault. And, you know, uh-huh. George Bush is sitting back thinking, oh, I started this sucker 20 years ago. He he is the one to blame or not. Yeah, uh-huh. he is. Buck, Buck stops the president right there. So there, there's your answer. And that guy hasn't been president for what, 13 years? No, yeah. further than that. What year is it? 20, yeah, 2008. He was done. So. Yeah, mm. hopefully the lesson is learned. That's just what I'll say. Yeah. I, I'm looking for the meme right now, but <laughs> I don't know. If, can you find it? I'm curious. Bush meme. Gotta stop. This is exciting podcasting right here. Mm. <laughs> you can edit this one out. <laughs> yeah. Anything else you got for me with this that you'd want to put on air? You know, I just want to do the thing you always do at the end of the five, which is, okay, well, and, and I know you've already covered this a little bit, you know, but you know, what should you or I or any of us listening take away from this? Well, I think the takeaway of this one is that it's always more complicated than it seems. If anyone tells you, oh, it's simple, here's what's going on, it's always more complicated. When someone went to President Bush and said, here's all we got to do, kick those dudes out of power, we'll put in people who are pro-democracy, problem solved. It's never that simple. It, it's just, it's complicated. And then it goes up in comp in its complicatedness level exponentially when it's a part of a culture that you are not a part of, when you're trying to understand something that you do not inherit, that you were not raised in. And so it's, it's more complicated than it seems. So I would say pretty much any American given their opinion right now on it, including me, you need to take it with a grain of salt and just say, this has nothing to do with masks, buddy. Mask up, get your vaccine. Let's call it good. <laughs> we don't need to drag that into this. <laughs> so, yeah. yeah, that's what I cool. would say. All right, cool. So I hope that helps you. It was enjoyable. I always oh, like yeah. talking about this stuff. Yeah, no, it helped tremendously. Yeah. Cool, good. Yeah. I'm, I, glad you... to, to, I'm glad to have been on the inaugural uh, uh, episode. Thanks for inviting me here, buddy. Yeah, you know, I, yeah, because I... I first heard of this when I was on vacation, like uh, my sister was, uh, she was just on her phone and she's like, huh, notification, Afghanistan capital falls. And I'm like, what you, what you talking about? (laughs) It came out of nowhere. It literally came out of nowhere. And then, and then I kind of just put it in the back of my mind until I was at the airport and I was like, Uh oh my God, it actually fell, you know? Yeah. Right. Like, yeah. So, okay. So I, I, I feel like I'm a lot better informed about this. So okay. thanks for talking today, Mr. Maori. Hey, um, you're, you are welcome. Not a problem. Yeah. Not By pleasure. the way, if I, if I'm coming to you as a, I think if I'm going to do more of these where I come to you as the student, I'm going to call you school? Mr. Okay. After school, I'm going to call <laughs> yeah. you Mr. Maori. Okay. But if I react to five episodes, I'm going to call you Brian. Cause that's how you, that's how you I guys do it. Awesome. It's perfect. Yeah. yeah. Not a problem at all. Yeah. That's cool. All right. Yeah, well, um, well, thanks for talking and thanks for um, thanks for all of you listening for making it to the end. But yeah. Okay. My pleasure. Bye bye. Bye.